0: To help us think about our passage this evening, I want to try and use an illustration from one of my favourite books. The book is Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Jean Valjean grows up in incredibly oppressive circumstances. At the time the rich were very rich and the poor were very poor and there was no hope for any change. Jean Valjean, as a very young man, was cold and starving. And one day, in his desperation, he stole some bread so that his sister might have something to eat. And for this, he was arrested and sentenced to hard labour. Chained and brutalised and exploited in his imprisonment, he understandably became a very bitter and angry man. He remained in prison for 19 years for that one loaf of bread. Eventually, Valjean is released. But as an ex-convict, he's refused lodging and refused work wherever he goes. The only place that will offer him some shelter is the home of a local bishop. And it's here, one night, that Valjean's deep resentment will meet something of the character of God. I want to show you a clip. So, we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. Caught him. But I had my eye on this man. God! I'm very angry with you, jean
1: What happened your to your eye, Monson? Didn't he tell uh, you he was our guest system?
0: last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silver But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Sheila, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? I, <laughs> Monsieur Valjean, has to get going, he's lost a lot of time. Did you forget, detective? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back, I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand, the Bishop? Madam, you don't offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. understandably bitter angry and resentful Jean Valjean meets the wonderful grace of God through the sacrifice of the bishop Valjean is saved from death back then a repeat offender would have been sent to hard labor for life he would have died in chains in a very real way Valjean experiences forgiveness He experiences being set free. And in the book, the bishop closes with these words. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to what is evil, but to what is good. I have bought your soul to save it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. And the rest of the book is a reflection on those words. Jean Valjean cannot stop thinking about what the bishop said, and he sets out to live a life for God. The next time we see him is six years later, where under a different name, Valjean has become a factory owner and has been appointed mayor of a small French town. He is a brand new man. In his factory, he employs the poor and the vulnerable. He gives them a safe form of a wage. He protects women from abuse. He rescues prostitutes. In fact, he treats the poor and the vulnerable so well, the town is growing exponentially as the needy flock into it for his protection. However, this great influx of people raises the attention of a certain police inspector called Javert. Javert knew Jean Valjean from the prison camp and he suspects the mayor's real identity. Soon Javert is on a mission to expose the kindly mayor as the ex-convict he really is. You see, Javert does not believe that people can truly change. So we're going to show you one more short scene showing an encounter between Javet and Valjean. Let's make is here to see you. It's going to work Exciting news, Mr. Mayor. Harris is interested in my plan. What plan is that? Why do you tell me, Inspector? You said it's your fault. I beg your pardon? I forgot. I apologize. Apologize? For what? I forgot you don't read. Your clerk mentioned it. Neglected your education to make your fortune. I suppose. What is Paris interested in, Inspector? I'm all ears. Because of the Ego's extraordinary growth during the past five years, I have proposed that we make a detailed census. Well, that would be interesting. But how is it a police matter? Modern law enforcement demands modern methods, and that means information. For example, how many people have moved here in the last decade? Where did they come from? What's their background? Is our criminal population homegrown or are they outsiders? Without information, we cannot know how to control the dangerous elements. You might be making a mistake. It's a mistake? What mistake is that? Sometimes people move to a new town to start with a clean slate. You might be doing more harm than good by prying into the private lives. An honest man has nothing to fear from the truth. For example, Paris knows that my father was a thief, and my mother a prostitute. If my mother or father were to move here to Vigo, I would want everyone to know who and what they are. Even if they had reformed themselves? Reform is a discredited fantasy. Modern science tells us that people are by nature lawbreakers or abiders. A wolf can wear sheep's clothing, but he's still <laughs> I was just thinking, Inspector, that you have been unlucky. Unlucky, I don't understand. Unfortunately, you've been assigned to a dull post. And would be happier in Paris, where everyone, either by nature or experience, is dishonest. Indeed. But I'll see if I prefer Paris. They've asked me to report to the Deputy Prefect to further explain my idea. I'll be gone for four days. Good luck. Thank you, and goodbye. So here we have two outlooks on life clashing head to head. One believes that people can change. From unfortunate or mistaken beginnings, people can be redeemed. They can still go on to flourish. The other believes that people are either intrinsically good or intrinsically evil. People never really change. They just pretend like a wolf in sheep's clothing. One is the outlook of the law and the state, the systems of corporal and capital punishment. The other is the outlook of faith, redemption, and transformation rooted in the forgiveness and the grace of God. These two outlooks are incompatible with one another. Only one can be right. And the book is a consistent battle between the two as represented by Valjean and Javert. I will not spoil the ending for you. But Victor Hugo wanted to give a very clear message. He believed that redemption is always possible. Even for the most miserable, the most wretched, the victimised, the dispossessed, even for convicts. And by the time Valjean's new character of mercy has saved even his arch-rival's life, Javert begins to see this wonderful truth Redemption is always possible. And it begins through forgiveness and sacrifice. The transformation then follows on after that as people reflect on what has been done for them. Let's now turn to this passage. Colossians 3 begins with an act of redemption. Paul, in his opening verses, reminds his readers of the redemption of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus Christ died to take the blame for all of our sin. He takes the stain of wrongdoing away from us. Christ rose again to bring us back to life and give us a new life. Even this minute he is sat at the Father's side, reigning over all, keeping our future safe. The Bible tells us that in eternity we'll receive new resurrection bodies, perfect and unspoilt And Paul says here that right now Christ has them in safekeeping, ready for us. Just as the bishop did for Valjean with the silver candlesticks, God has forgiven us and then gone on to give us immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. The past is wiped away. The future is assured and in the present God's spirit is at work amongst us, helping us to truly live. This is amazingly good news and it applies to each and every one of us. No matter who we are or where we've been or what we've done. Even us, of us here this evening who think we've done things that are unthinkable. Whether they be to our, due to our circumstances or just sheer malice in our lives. Even we. Can be redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. The cross is so powerful, no one is beyond hope. But here is the important thing for this reading God loves us too much just to forgive our past and then leave us in the pits where He found us. The bishop was not just going to let Jean off and then allow him just to return back to his old ways the bishop gave Valjean a chance to change. And so too does God. God begins with redemption and forgiveness, and then he begins to transform our lives by his spirit. But here is where we as Christians can be lulled into a mistake. That glorious transformation of character doesn't just happen to us automatically neither does it happen instantly as if coming to faith is like pressing a magic button to be truly transformed requires us to work with god it requires us to choose to refuse the wrong paths and take up the right ones above all paul says it requires us to think Jean Valjean cannot stop thinking about the bishop's words. I have given you to God. It was by dwelling deeply upon them and responding to them over six years that Valjean's life was slowly transformed. Or well, so too it is with Christians. Just look at what Paul says here. He's emphatic. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think, says Paul. Think, think, think. Remember what Christ has done. Think about what he went through for you. Think about what he gave up, what he sacrificed. Think. I'm sorry if this is news to you today, but as Christians, we have to think. We're to be a thoughtful people, not emotional wanderers going from one spiritual high to another. We're to think deeply and slowly on God. And when we do, it changes our hearts. It changes our motives and our desires. It changes our ambitions and our drive. We're to think on Jesus. On who he is and what he's done. And once we've got our thinking right, it will begin to spill out in our behaviour and our actions. So all of us can be redeemed by Jesus if we repent of our sins and turn to him. And then when we dwell on the source of redemption, the sacrifice of the cross, all of us can be transformed. No one is beyond help. Perhaps the words of the great hymn still describe it best. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. With a whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So anyone can be transformed by Jesus. But let's now think what that transformation looks like. In the book, Jean, when he stands before the bishop, is covered in his convict's rags. Six years later, he's found in the garments of a mare. A great wardrobe change has taken place. Well, Paul too describes the transformation that God wants to work in our lives like a change of clothes. It's a very good metaphor Because getting changed in the morning, it doesn't just happen, does it? We have to think about it. We have to think about what we're going to wear that day. And then we actually have to take the time to get dressed. Getting changed requires thought and action on our part. So in verses 5 to 11, Paul describes the clothes that we are to take off. There are two particular types selfish desires and selfish words. For the first, he lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. For the second, he lists rage, and malice, slander, filthy language, lies. And it's this combination of selfish desires and selfish words that cause so much damage in our world. Self-importance, arrogance, reaching out and taking whatever we want, looking only after number one, not caring about the damage that our words do to others. This is the root cause of so much pain and hurt, so much division, so much breakdown in relationships and community. These are the markers of a life unredeemed, a life lived in darkness, And we have to choose to leave these ways behind. Paul says we have to put them to death. That's strong language, isn't it? Put them to death and choose to become more like Jesus. So what are the new clothes that we're to put on in their place? He might like to picture a baptism. The candidate has gone down and been immersed in the water, has all these old ways forgiven, and now they come up. I must put on a new, dry, clean set of clothes. But what are they? Well, instead of selfish desires, we are to be selfless. Section and morality and impurity and lust and greed to be replaced by compassion and kindness and humility and patience. And the selfish words that we so readily speak are to be replaced by, you guessed it, selfless ones. Instead of rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lies, we have to speak words of forgiveness. And above these new garments that we're to put on, the selfless desires and the selfless words, we're to put on love. Love like a belt that holds everything together. Jean Valjean, in his rescuing of the poor and his tending to prostitutes and his persistent mercy towards even his enemy Javert, was dressed like this. And so too can we be. We are redeemed by Christ and slowly but surely we can be transformed to look like him too. At the centre of these great verses is verse 11, where we're told this great truth that Christ is in all of us. You see, we don't get transformed purely in our own strength. We do this in partnership with him. By his spirit, Christ helps us to get up and get changed and get dressed. But we still have to play our part. We have to think. We have to think deeply on the cross, and then we have to take action. So far, then, so good. I hope that we've heard this as incredibly good news. It gives hope to every human being from disobedient child to wayward adult to convicted convict. We can all become holy. We can become like God. We can live differently, not because of any goodness of our own, because of what Jesus has done for us. We can live in a new way that makes people take notice and wants to find out how we have changed so much. And we can tell them about God. But there's one final thing to say. Something important about the church Did you notice that all the way through these verses, as Paul talks about us getting changed, he does so using plural pronouns. The you that comes repeatedly in these verses is the you plural, all of you. And when he comes to talking about the new clothes that we're to get dressed in in verse 12, he makes it even more explicit. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Can you hear it? Paul is emphatic. God wants to transform each and every one of us, but he transforms us together. The church could almost be described as a group changing room. You know, the ones you get at swimming pools for families. Why is that? Well, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that getting changed is difficult. It's not easy to become like Jesus. We all need help to change the long ingrained habits of the past. We need help from others to stay focused on Jesus, setting our minds and our hearts on him for the long haul, not just a few days. And for this, we need the community of God's people to help us. Every one of us in this room need the rest of the church here on Isla to help us to become the best that we can be. So what can we do as a community together to help each other get transformed well, the final three verses give us some brief ideas. First of all, it tells us that in the church, we learn to live in peace. For those of us who are a little selfish and angry and bitter, like Jean Valjean, it's living in community that teaches us to be gentle and understanding. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. You see when we live together in a church we realize that everyone is different. We all come from different cultures and different backgrounds and have different interests, we have different characters. All these things could so easily pull us apart. But by living together we're forced to focus on the main thing, the cross and the resurrection, and how everything pales into insignificance compared to that. By living in fellowship, we're forced to build bridges, to learn how to accept and love and forgive, to put others before ourselves. Committing to live together in this way helps us to take the old divisive clothes off and put on the new humble clothes of compassion and love. The church helps us to focus on God's word. Paul has said again and again that transformation occurs when we think about Christ. And for that reason, it's vital that as God's people, we're rooted in the Bible. And on our own, we know that it's difficult to keep reading the Bible. Our daily devotions soon tail off. We stop reading the Bible as soon as busyness crowds in its way. But verse 16 says this. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. By making sure that the Bible is at the heart of our services and our midweek meetings, we help each other to stay focused on Jesus and the story of our salvation. We read together, we learn together, we reflect together. Sometimes we have to correct one another using the word of God. But doing this together helps us to keep focused on Him. Thirdly, Paul talks about singing. Paul believes that as a community, it's easier to sing praise to God, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Have you ever wondered why we sing on a Sunday? It's certainly not just for our own enjoyment. I know there are people in this church who hate singing, and there are others who cannot sing a note. Why do we do it? We do it because when we sing, we lift our hearts and our eyes up to God. When we're finding life tough, the words of the songs and the Psalms help us to focus again on Jesus and all that he's done for us, and all the promises he has for us. Singing helps us return to the source of our salvation. And I know this to be true. When I'm feeling anxious or depressed, I sometimes come to church and feel like I can't sing a word. But when I hear you, my church family, singing praise to God, it helps me focus on what I need. And soon I find myself singing along with you as well. Only a community can do this. Singing alone in the shower at home is not going to do it. God's people together lift each other's spirits in song. And finally, the church teaches us to be thankful. Verse 17 finishes, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, there's nothing more affirming than hearing the stories and the testimonies of other believers. People we know, giving thanks to God for what he's done in their lives, encourages us. It helps us to see that God is still here. He's still at work, even if our lives we're struggling to see that for a moment. Being part of a thankful church helps us to keep going, to keep trying to become the people that God wants us to be. Being thankful also helps us to return to what we were thinking about at the beginning. As we think about what God has done and say, thank you for it, we again make the decision to think on Jesus. Say thank you for him and allow him to transform more and more of our lives. So God wants to transform every single one of us, but he does it as a people together. So here we finish. Let's hear the good news one more time. There's no one here tonight who's beyond the redemption of God. There is hope For everyone, it begins in the grace of God, the forgiveness found at the cross. We are redeemed by Jesus and Him alone. But God wants to take us from where He finds us and transform our lives for the better. That requires us to think about Jesus and all that He's done, to consciously take off the old and put on the new. But we don't do this alone. God has put us in a family. Together we journey through life. Together we make mistakes and together we correct them. Together we build each other up and encourage. We learn to live with God. Are we up for that? I hope so. Because if we all pull together, we will discover that God is transforming all of us to be more and more like Jesus.